We, uh, we're going to continue, probably wrap up our study on the counterfeits that we started, according to my scribble on here, we started at July 16th, and it's been interrupted a time or two, and it's kind of strung out longer than I figured it would, but we'll try to wrap it up today. Let's pray before we start. But Father, thank you for your uh, goodness to us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a desire to be in your house and to look into your word. Pray that you teach us from it this morning. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would move among us today in each of the services. That you might teach us the things that we need to see from your word. That, uh, Lord, you would allow us to be more effective servants. If there's things in our lives that are wrong, we pray you put a finger on those and lead us to confess that as sin and, and get it out of our lives. And uh, Father, we pray uh, for the, the, the rest of the day, if there happen to be here people who are lost, we pray they'd hear the gospel message and that they would uh, come to be uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before it's everlastingly too late. But this morning, we just pray that you would guide us as we look into this uh, series of lessons on counterfeits, things that we ought to look out for and certainly uh, beware of. And so we, we pray that you'd guide us and we, we dedicate this time to you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we started just a little bit of reviews because it has been a while. Uh, we were talking about counterfeits, and we talked about how we live in a world that's full of them, counterfeits. People claim to be what they're not, uh, products that claim to do things they won't do. But, and that's bad enough, but religious uh, religions that claim that to be something they're not, they claim to give us uh, multiple ways to get to God when there's not multiple ways to get to God. There's one way, and that's Jesus Christ, faith in Him. We... We talked about how uh, there are there are preachers, or I guess you would say religious leaders, who would lead you us or lead us in the wrong direction if we let them. They'll take us anywhere but into the scriptures, and we know that this this is God's word. It's the word that the Holy Spirit illuminated for us, and that's what should guide us in every part of our lives. And we have, we talked about how there there is that long held view that the best way to recognize a counterfeit of anything is to study the real thing, and. And we know that to be the case. And, and we don't we don't go into we don't get up every morning and going through life thinking, today I'm going to look for counterfeit. I'm going to look at this and I'm going to see if this is right. If it's not right, if you went to to the gas station and and you went to fill up your car with gas, and what was coming out of that pump smelled like honey, you would think immediately something's wrong because gas doesn't smell like that. I'm putting something. If it didn't look like gas. Uh, it, you would say, you would stop, wouldn't you? You wouldn't keep putting it in there. If it smelled like diesel fuel and you're putting it in a gasoline engine, you'd say, ah, something's wrong. I'm not going to do this. So we, we, we do this on a daily basis. We look at things to see, is that real? Is that really what I think it is? And if it's not, then we stop in our tracks. Well, we need to do that from a, a far, as far as our faith and, and our, uh, we could say, our religion. God's Word teaches us what's real. And as we study His Word, then we recognize the counterfeits that come our way. And so we talked about, and I'm just going to quickly uh, review some of these things. The first counterfeit we talked about being aware of was uh, false Christs. Uh, the Lord Jesus, he, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And he said, You beware. Uh, because uh, as he was teaching his disciples, he knew he was going to leave them, and he was going to go back to heaven. He was going to be with his Father. Uh, our Heavenly Father. And he says, there's going to become people come along later and they're going to say, oh, I'm Christ, I'm the Messiah. And we've heard of that in our, our lifetimes. People who have who've created religious movements and they've actually told people 
that they were the Messiah and that they should be followed. And people have followed them. And the, the consequences have always been bad. So the remedy for that, we, we study what the Scripture teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we know who He is. And we don't fall for a false Christ. We talk about false ministers, uh, pastors. It could be other leaders in a church. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Uh, the Lord appointed who the apostles were in His day. The Lord appoints the people who are to be uh, the, the teachers, our teachers, our leaders. And we need to be aware of people that try to appoint themselves to that because that can be dangerous. And they try, may try to set up some kind of a false faith. And so we have to be, be careful. And again, the most effective way to recognize a counterfeit uh, preacher or teacher or leader, spiritual leader, is to read what the Word of God says the, the real thing ought to look like. And we took the time several weeks ago and we looked at the requirements in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1 of what uh, a, a preacher should be what the, the basic biblical requirements and if someone doesn't meet those requirements then that person is not qualified according to the scriptures to, to be a preacher or a pastor or a leader and so we, got, we know what the word of God tells us what to look for sorry about that um, and so we look for that and then we're not uh, taking uh, we're not led astray by the counterfeit. Uh, a third thing we looked at was false Christians. Paul spoke of uh, false brethren, unawares brought in to churches. The devil will bring people into churches sometimes. They're not Christians, and they have no intention of being Christians. And they'll come in sometimes to try to lead people astray and get people in, involved in things that don't honor the Lord. Or maybe get people to believe things that aren't taught in the Scriptures. And so we do need to be uh, careful of that. The remedy, again, we trust the Lord to identify who they are and to remove them. And, and there's nothing wrong with praying from time to time that the Lord would not let false Christians come in among and, and create trouble in a congregation. There's nothing wrong with that because the Lord will purify His people. He'll purify His, His congregation. He doesn't give us the authority to go start going around and say, you don't belong here, you're not a Christian, I know, get out. He doesn't tell us that. And we looked at the, the, the description of the people, the man who had planted good seed, and then his enemies came along and planted weed seeds along it, with it. And the servants of that, that planter, that farmer, said, you want us to go pull the weeds up? And he said, no, you won't, be, you won't necessarily be able to tell the difference between the weeds or the tares and the wheat. You leave them there. And at harvest time, then we can tell the difference. And so we leave that to the Lord. But we trust Him to identify and sort out of the false Christians. We talked about false religious teachers um, and the um, they will come into churches from time to time and we need to be aware of them. Um, so, uh, Peter said in Second Peter, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were uh, moved by the Holy Ghost. We know that. We looked at that. How the Holy Spirit led people to record the scriptures. But Peter also said, but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you. He said, they're coming. There will be false teachers. How do we know them? We follow the example of the Bereans where we're told that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's how you know if it's a false teacher. If someone comes in and they, they're teaching us something that doesn't align with scripture, then 
We don't believe that, do we? We recognize that's a false teacher. Rod and I were talking about this a little while ago. I can remember when pastors would stand in the, in the pulpit and they would say, if I, te- if I preach anything or if I teach you anything that's not in alignment with Scripture, always believe the Scripture. I might have made a mistake. You don't follow me, you follow the Scriptures. We don't hear that as much as we used to, but I'll stand here and tell you very clearly, if you hear me say something that's not in alignment with, with what the Scriptures teaches, you follow the Scriptures. You don't follow me. Because I could make a, an error. I'm not standing here to be a false teacher. I'm not going to try to lead you astray, but I could say something that's wrong. And we always follow the Scripture. So that's how we get around uh, not being misled by false teachers. We know what the Scriptures teach, and we follow that. Talk about false prophets, which is a little different than false teachers. These are people who come along and say, I have a new message from God. Well, the Scriptures teach us that they're over. God has finished the canon of Scripture. It's all, all that He wanted to teach us is right here. So if someone comes along and they say, I've got a new revelation from God, it's not in the Bible. It, it, it's not in there yet. God just gave it to me last night. Well, that's, there's a problem there because God is not speaking through prophets now the way He did centuries ago. And we know that. So we've got to be very careful. Um, and how do we recognize them? It's, we see it in 1 John uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. We, it's, it says this, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you've heard that it should come, and even now already, already is in the world. If we want to know if someone's a false prophet, we just figure out what, what their position is on the Lord Jesus Christ because a false prophet is never going to say that he has come in the flesh, that he is the Son of God. They'll never tell us that. And so that's how we recognize false prophets. Well, how, where do they stand on the person of Jesus Christ? Another uh, counterfeit that we talked about was a false gospel and false doctrines. We have to be very careful of that. The way that we... Um, make sure that we're not led astray by false doctrine is we need to know what we believe. And the way we do that, again, is we go into the Word of God. We read it. We study it. And if there's portions of it we don't understand, uh, we have ways. There are commentaries that we can read. We can, that we have good preachers and teachers that can teach us, that can help us understand. And we can always pray the Holy Spirit. We get, give a, open our eyes and open our understanding so we could understand the Scriptures better, can't we? So we need to know what we believe. We, know how, we need to know how to defend our faith. And the way we defend it is saying, thus saith the Lord. This is why I believe this, because the Word of God says it. And then we need to know how to, or where to draw a line on false doctrine and say, I'm not going there. I'm not going to believe that, because the Scriptures don't support that false doctrine. And so God expects mature children to take action when needed. And to say, absolutely not, we will not accept that false doctrine. I'm not going to listen to a false teacher at that point. And then the last one that we talked about um, was false science. And uh, Timothy, or Paul writing to Timothy, said, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have heard concerning the faith. We talk about how there's we live in an information age. There's lots of information around us. There's lots of scientists around us. But often, they'll, they, these scientists, they'll deny creation. They'll say it didn't happen the way the Word of God says. They will deny the, the, the flood of Noah's time and say, oh, that's not possible. When 
true scientific evidence does support the flood. And we can see that. They deny that uh, unborn children are, are human. They say that's just, a, that's just flesh, that's just tissue in a woman's body, so it's okay to, to have an abortion to kill that child. But we know the scriptures teach the Lord knows children at the point of conception. He even knows who they are before they're conceived. So they are people. And when we, it's not, we need to, or we would do well to take a different terminology. People don't perform abortions. They commit abortions because that is premeditated murder. That is when a a woman and a doctor get together or a medical professional and they agree to end a human life in any other condition in any other place where two people got together and agreed to end a human life, we'd call that first-degree murder, wouldn't we? It's premeditated. And so, but there are scientists who would support that and say, no, no, that's not a person. And so we know that's false science. Uh, many scientists, um, uh, they, they deny that there was a resurrection of Christ. And yet, Scripture tells us there were over 500 people who saw Christ alive after his resurrection. And there were people who knew death, recognized it very well, Roman soldiers. They knew how to, how to create death and they knew how to recognize it. They knew he was dead when he was buried. And so there is, there's ample evidence. Any court of law would take the, 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 um, the testimony of five, over 500 witnesses, uh, wouldn't they? And so the, we know that the Lord uh, rose from the dead. He is resurrected. And so we can't always trust what scientists tell us. There is false science out there. And there are many scientists who deny the very existence of God. And yet we can look all around us. And there's ample evidence that there is a God. Uh, the, the theories that they tell us that of how creation came into existence, they make no sense whatsoever. And they require more faith than simply believing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so we talked about that. We need to recognize false science and call it what it is. And we don't put our faith in that. We put our faith, we put our trust in Almighty God and His Word. Well, there's a couple of additional counterfeits that we'll look at now. Um, Whoops. Not there, we won't. We will look at here. False religion is the eighth counterfeit that we can look at. I want to read... Uh, some verses, a couple of verses in James chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from this world. That term visit, by the way, when it says to visit the fatherless, it means it's, it's more than just go see somebody. Uh, an orphan or a widow. It means to go to them with assistance when they need it, to be willing to help them. And so pure religion includes being willing to help somebody uh, when they're afflicted, when they need the help. James, he pretty much just cuts to the chase here. He says, vain, uh, that term vain religion, it means empty. It means worthless or uh, false religion. It includes some things. One is the uncontrolled tongue. He said, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, that man's religion is vain. What does that mean, to bridle the tongue? We all know what that means, don't we? It's like putting the bridle in a horse's mouth to control where that horse goes. 
if if someone comes to us and they say, "Oh, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a I'm a great. I'm a terribly I'm a, or not terribly, but I'm a I'm a really religious person and I love God and and I've been a Christian all my life. I was born a Christian. I've always attended church, but they can't quite seem to get control of their tongue. And they're 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 easy. Uh, it's easy for them to insult people. It's easy for them to spread gossip. It's easy for them to spread dissension, and and all of those things. They're not controlling their tongue very well. And and James is saying, if a man can't do that, if he's if he's not in control of his tongue in any way, and there's no indication that the Holy Spirit is helping him control his tongue, then his religion is empty. And don't put a lot of faith in that. He may not be as uh, the Christian that he says he is. The second thing that James mentions is actions that cheat a person's own heart or his own inner feelings, his thoughts. He said, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, his religion is vain. Uh, there are people who maybe they, they make a claim that they are, they are religious people or that they're Christians, but they're fooling themselves because their behavior doesn't align with what Scripture teaches. And there is, uh, we're, we're told that when we're born again, the Lord creates within us a new heart. And we should be exhibiting at least part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the, some people get saved and there is an immediate transformation of that person. And they, they're, not, they're not even recognizable as the same person sometimes. Their behavior is so much different. Uh, it could be an alcoholic who gets saved and never takes another drink. Uh, cleans their act up. They're they're polite to their families. They're making provision for all the needs of people around them and all of that. Some people, it's not so much they get saved, but yes, you can tell there's a difference. But they're making steady improvements. Other people will make a profession of faith, but you never see an improvement. You never see a change. They're they they still talk the same way they did before. They still act the same way they did before, and there's no evidence at all that the Holy Spirit's working in their lives. And for that person to go around and say, yeah, I'm saved. I, I know Jesus Christ. If there's no evidence at all, they're deceiving themselves, aren't they? And James says their religion is empty and they need to check up on that. And then he says a third thing that James talks about uh, that makes a, a person's religion vain is when they become spotted with the things of the world. Because he says, uh, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure and uh, pure religion and undefiled is this: to visit the fatherless and the widow in their afflictions, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. What does that mean? To to be spotted with the world? It's a, the idea is to be stained with the sin of this world. It's very graphic language. Um, God teaches us in His Word that we're to be separated from this world. We're not to be in love with with the world system that we see around us, because the world is quick to accept any form of sin. Uh, whether it's a, uh, it could be idolatry, covetousness, it could be adultery, it could be alcoholism, drug abuse, it could be uh, wife beating, or any of these other things. And he says, we gotta remain as Christians. You remain spotted. You remain unspotted. You don't get stained by that. You stay away from that. But if someone is claiming to be a Christian, to, to claiming to have religion, as some people say, and yet they look as much like the world as anyone else around them. 
And there's a reason to, to question whether they truly are saved, isn't there? Because the Spirit of God is not working in their lives. Uh, the world offers a whole lot of different religions. And the world offers even its own version sometimes of Christianity. And they'll go. the world will let you go so far in this uh, religious thing, uh, saying, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And I go to church and I sing the hymns and I pray and I read my Bible and I carry my Bible with me to work or to school. And the world will allow a lot of those things right up to the point where we say Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death and He rose from the dead. And at that point, the world says, whoa, stop. I can't, I'm not going to buy that. It doesn't matter whether they buy it or not, does it? It's the truth. And if someone is going along with this false sense of security, this false sense of religion, and they're spotted by the world, and they're deceiving them, their, themselves, their own selves, and their tongue is uncontrolled, then there's, James says your religion is vain at that point. It's an empty religion. And we need to be careful of that. It's a false religion. In contrast, James says pure and undefiled religion includes some other things. Taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. And shouldn't that be a big important part of, of our Christian life? Isn't that what Jesus did when he came to earth? Didn't he take care of people who couldn't take care of themselves? Someone who'd been blind from birth, and he came along and he had good news for them, but he took care of that blindness too. Uh, someone who had been uh, unable to walk all his life, and Jesus comes along and says, get up and walk. Or someone who says, Lord, you can help me. You can, you can heal me of this if you will. And Jesus says, I will. Be thou healed. Simple as that. And he heals them. And he touched people that no one else would touch. Lepers and, and outcasts. Jesus would go to them. He would show them compassion. Well, James says, pure religion and undefiled means taking care of. And it's not just. And he mentions specifically the fatherless or orphans and widows. But it goes beyond that. We, we offer care and compassion to people that can't take care of themselves. And we avoid a love affair with this world. James 4.4 4 says, Know ye, this is, this is very important, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Those are strong words too, aren't they? James says if you're going to be a friend with this world, and with the sin that this world is engaged in, you can expect to be considered an enemy of God because he wants nothing to do with that. And so he's contrasting, again, the difference between a false religion and a pure religion. Charles Spurgeon, we know a pastor of, of a different uh, century, uh, said, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he who has the smile of the ungodly must look for the frown of God. And I don't, I don't know how you could say that any better. If we are in love with this world, we're, and yet say we're Christians, there's a problem there. And if, we, if the world looks at our religion and smiles at it and says, I approve, then I think we can look for God's disapproval because he tells us to be apart from this world. False religion may look alluring to a lot of people, but where Christianity has pure warmth and compassion and love, uh, any religion that this world gives us is going to be cold and hard and it's going to be unloving and it's not something we want to be a part of. So, what's the remedy 
for avoiding false religion. For Christians, is we, we just have to remain true to the Lord and His Word because that will guide us away from uh, the false religions. And as we do that, we want to bring other people along with us too because there are people out there who will fall for whatever false religion comes along. And, and it's our job to, to bring them with us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, a last uh, counterfeit that we need to be uh, careful of it falls. It comes close to this. It's false worship. Now, there's a difference between false religion. That's a, a religion is a set of beliefs that you put your, uh, your yourself into. False worship is how we approach God Himself as we worship. In Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, say this: uh, The Lord Jesus talking. He said, "This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship." That term worship, it it simply means to revere someone, to adore someone. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. A whole lot, if we look at the world around us today, a whole lot of of what's called worship nowadays is nothing more than noise. It really is. It's just, it's loud. And and even, even if you go into things that call themselves Baptist churches a lot, these days, you're going to hear just a lot of noise when you get there, and sometimes it's uh, it's it's music, and singing can be a, a very important part of worship, and some people have the idea that singing or music is that's that's the only thing that happens in a service that's worship, but it's not, is it? It's our attitudes should be ones of worship. Uh, when we pray, that should be worship. When we give an offering, we're worshiping the Lord. We're, we're revering Him. We're showing our adoration because we're donating something that cost us something for His use. And we're giving it up. And in the Old Testament, they, where they, they took animals and what did they call it? They sacrificed the animal. Why? Because they, they were, it was a sacrifice to them. It was something they had put uh, effort into raising and they were taking a loss because they couldn't use that anymore. They had given it to God. Well, that's what happens when we bring our offerings, isn't it? We give them to the Lord. They're not ours anymore. It may be money that we worked for, but we're giving it to God and we're saying it's yours. I love you that much that I'm going to give you this because I recognize you gave it to me to start with. You're the one who gave me the energy to work or whatever. However I earned that money, God, you gave me that ability, and so I'm going to give it back to you. So those are all part of worship, not just music. Singing is an important part of worship, or it can be, but singing that fails to focus on the God we love isn't worship, is it? And too many of the, uh, the songs that we hear in the world around us, and so too often in churches around us, they focus on us, not on God. Uh, there'll be things that people may call them songs of testimony, but if you listen carefully, they're talking about me and I and what I've done and all of that, and I'm coming to God and all of that, maybe our music should focus more on who God is, the God we love, the God of strength, the God of power, the God of holiness, and we sing His praises. We don't sing about us because then it's no longer worship. Testimony that people give. You ever notice, maybe you've not, I've heard this before, Uh, far too often if someone gives a word of testimony they talk about themselves I did this for the Lord and and by the way he blessed it or I did this or I'm going to do this a testimony wouldn't it be better if it was about what God has done for us 
You know, I am weak, but He is strong. I was a sinner, but He saved me by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's testimony, isn't it? And when when I'm facing a difficulty, God is strong and He provides something. He brings someone alongside me to help me. He gave me. He led me to a doctor that was able to to pre- pre- prescribe medication or some level of treatment that helped me. That's a testimony for God, isn't it? The testimony should never be focused on what I well. I've done this so much for God. I, I give this. It almost uh, at, at some point it could almost sound like the. Um, the Pharisee that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I, I sure am glad. I don't like other people. That's not testimony, is it? Testimony should focus on the Lord. Teaching can be a good part of, of worship, can it? But only if it's teaching the Scriptures. Far too often, it's, it's way too easy for uh, teaching to be more of my opinions on something or an editorial on something or a book report about something. Oh, I've heard of, of churches in, in years past that would actually, people would go into a Sunday school class and they would watch a video of an old Andy Griffith show and then they would base a Sunday school lesson around what happened in the, in the episode of Andy Griffith. That's not the Word of God. There may be some good lessons to be learned from Andy Griffith, but that's not teaching the Word of God, is it? And so when we make things like that a part of worship and call it worship, it's false worship. We need, our, we need to focus on God's Word and we need to focus on the God we love. It's, it's essentially, when you go this path, it's, they're paying lip service to God but without heart worship. And that's what James is talking about. This people draweth nigh to me, with, or not James, but, uh, the Lord in Matthew. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're not worshiping me. They're just saying things. They're just going through... Uh, the motions. That's false worship. What about true worship? True worship focuses on God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? We recognize God the Father. He is the creator of all. He is God who is sitting on His throne. He has is the one who is all-powerful, the one who is all-holy, the one who is ever-present. He's always with us. Jesus Christ we focus on Him. He's the Son of God. He's the one who came and paid the price so that we could be saved. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we don't relegate Him. He's not, he's not third in order of, of preeminence, just third in the order that we, we mention Him sometimes. He's the one who led old, uh, holy men of old to record the Scripture so that we could have the written Word of God. Isn't that great? No other religion can say we've got a living Word of God here that is inspired by God. They've only Other religions have writings uh, that men wrote, but it was, it was their writings, not the Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who moves among us, helps us to understand the Scriptures. He's the one who draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ when we're lost and we need to be saved, aren't we? So true worship focuses on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. True religion brings us to our knees when we recognize God's worthiness and our unworthiness. And if we don't realize that, we've got a problem already, don't we? We come to God in worship and we recognize who He is. He is the Holy One. He is the Exalted One. And we're not. And so we have to keep that in mind when we come to Him in worship. Worship, True worship leads us to sacrificial service where we say, 
God, I want to serve you. I want, I want to, to yield myself to what it is you want me to do. If you want me to go and help this person, as, as we talked about with, uh, in, in James, if you want me to go visit this widow or this person who is fatherless or someone else who has a name, then that's what I want to do. If you want me to, to share a word of testimony with someone, that's what I want to do. It, Lord, if you would have me to, to watch a nursery with screaming two-year-olds in church so that their parents can hear a preaching service, then that's what I want to do. And that we that's sacrificial service. Whatever it happens to be, those are just some minor examples. There could be far more things. It could be someone who says, Lord, if you're calling me to go to some place that I would have always considered undesirable to carry the gospel as a missionary, then that's what that's what I, I need to do. And you know what? We think, well, that, that doesn't happen here because of of who we are. Uh, we're, we're older people here. The Lord's not going to call anybody to do anything like that. Just remember, Moses was 80 years old when the Lord called him to go into to Egypt and lead the Israelites out. Uh, he, he's not finished with us just because we reached a certain number of years. He can still use us. And so if true worship says, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you however you want. True worship means we want to be conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And we want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that that happens. And so we look, the longer, the older we get, or the, in, in the Lord, so to speak, the longer we're saved, the more we ought to look like Jesus Christ. And we ought to behave like Him. And our reactions should be like His. You've heard me mention um, Peter Masters before. He's the pastor of uh, the... Uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He says this, and, and I can hear him say it. I've heard him say it many times in his, his very prim and proper British accent. Worship is words. It's not noise. It's not just the music that we, we play or sing. It's our words to God the Father. We worship Him with what we say and how we come to Him. They're words that are spoken to the God we love. That's our worship. They're words that give Him glory and the honor that He's the only one that deserves. That's what our worship is. We give that to Him. Uh, worship is our words where we pledge ourselves to serve Him without any reservation and say, God, whatever it is you want. It's hard to think about that, isn't it, sometimes? Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's when, then that's what I want to do. But that's our worship, isn't it? We, we go to Him and we tell Him that. Our worship is words that are spoken to lead other people to Christ because we're called to be witnesses. We're called to testify to what the Lord's done to us and to share the gospel with them. That's our worship in our words. So how do we avoid false worship then? What's the remedy? We need to engage in genuine worship of the living God and then we'll recognize, we'll recognize what false worship is. We'll recognize if something is going on and it's just noise. It's not, it's not honoring to God. It's, uh, it, it could be bringing the, the, the uh, music of the world into a church and calling it worship, and we say, that's not worship. That's just noise. Or uh, someone coming in and, and giving a word of testimony or, or teaching something that's not in alignment with Scripture, and we say, that's not worship. That's noise, and we don't want the noise. We want true worship of the Lord, don't we? We want to meet with Him. We want to fellowship with Him. We want to grow in our, in our relationship with Him every day, don't we? And we want to do that all our lives because we never, 
uh, our faith and our worship doesn't have an expiration date. We're going to continue to do it. And after this life, Scripture says we're going to be in heaven and we're going to keep worshiping Him because we'll have ultimate access to Him. We'll never be separated from Him again. And so that's how we avoid the false worship. Now, as I've said before, it's been said that uh, um, federal agents who are supposed to, to recognize counterfeit money, they're not taught um, to study counterfeit money. They're taught to study the real thing. And they, they live with it. They breathe it. They look, at, they look at it. They feel the texture. They smell it. They look at the lines on it, the colors of it, and all of those. And they study it, and they study it, and they study it so long that then if someone shoves a counterfeit bill in front of them, they say, wait a minute, that's not real. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't smell right. It doesn't look right. The paper, it's not the right texture. It's not the right weight. If I ball it up, it does this. If I ball up a real um, dollar bill, it does this. That's how we know the difference between the real and the fake, the counterfeit and the real is by studying the real thing. Christians, have, we have to give ourselves over to studying God's Word. We have to know what the real thing looks like or we can we can fall prey to counterfeits just as easily as anybody else. We need to recognize what the counterfeits are and to use a, a common phrase, I guess, we, we need to avoid counterfeits like the plague because that's really what they are. They're a plague. They're pox on our family, so to speak, as another old saying goes. And we, have to, we, we need to be able to help deliver other people from the counterfeits too because uh, as we come to a church where the Word of God is preached and taught, where we are encouraged to read it and study it, where we are encouraged to pray and to rely on the Lord to teach us the right thing, there are so many other people outside of, a, of, of this church or churches like it, and they're, they're getting taken in by the counterfeits. And we know these people. We, we, that some of them are in our families, their friends, or people we work with, or in our neighborhoods, and we need to be able to lead them away. Uh, we need to help uh, them to recognize the counterfeits when they come across them, so they don't get taken in either. So I hope that study has been helpful. That's the, that brings us to the end of it. Uh, it's lengthy, but I think it's important that Christians be aware that there are counterfeits out there. And uh, they are dangerous, and we need to uh, we need to recognize them and avoid them. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for allowing us to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to look at the counterfeits that are out there. Some of them are more pronounced in in the area where we live than others, but each of these are very dangerous. They're insidious. Uh, the devil has those who will try to to infiltrate Christianity. Uh, they he has false teachers that he would like to bring among us. He has tares that he would like to sow among the wheat. And there are so many things, so many areas that people could be tripped up in. And we pray that you protect us, Father. We pray that you would give us a desire to study your word together, to study it by ourselves, to read it, to commit as much of it as we can to memory, to meditate upon it, and to rely on the Holy Spirit to bring it to mind. If we're tempted uh, to go in a different direction, if we are tempted uh, to, to go in, in any of these areas of, of counterfeits, we pray the Holy Spirit would immediately show us what's real. Help us to recognize the, the counterfeits and avoid them. We pray for this church, Lord, that it would uh, continue to have a pure worship here, that people would come here to glorify you and honor you uh, with our words and with the thoughts of our heart. And uh, don't ever let us uh, come to a place where our worship is nothing more than just mere noise. 
And please don't let our worship come to a place where it's false, it's empty. We pray, Lord, that uh, everything that we say or do in this place will be for the honor and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.